Hi everyone, welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. So today we have with us Dr. Nicole Peoples, who is a board-certified physician in internal medicine based out of Atlanta, Georgia. She specializes in functional medicine. She is a graduate of Spelman College and obtained her medical degree at Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Her interests in osteopathic medicine stem from the focus of the whole person. Dr. Peoples completed her residency in internal medicine at Alameda County Medical Center, UCSF Affiliate Training Program, where she focused on strategies and behavioral change through motivational interviewing and health coaching. She has obtained additional board certifications in integrative and holistic medicine and is certified by the Institute of Functional Medicine. Dr. Peoples believes that medications alone do not make people healthy, but a healthy lifestyle does. Welcome, Dr. Peoples. We are so happy to have you here on our podcast. So to start out, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and give us a fun fact. I'm Dr. Nicole Peoples. I'm an um, internal medicine physician um, by training. I also have specialization in integrative holistic medicine and functional medicine. I currently practice as a hospitalist, which is basically a doctor who takes care of patients in the hospital. Specifically right now, I've been taking care of COVID patients, but I also have a private practice where I see patients for integrative health issues, including bioidentical hormones and nutrition and lifestyle medicine, behavior change, that sort of thing. So I've kind of done all of those things. I am a mother of three and a wife of one amazing husband. And I am a, I'm from California, (laughs) but I grew up here in Atlanta and went to Spelman College for undergrad and then Ohio University for medical school and trained out, I did my residency out in California again at um, Highland in Oakland. Wow, that is a lot. That is a lot of bi-coastal traveling, going back and forth and stuff. Yeah, that's a lot. Nice. So, you know, just, just so people can know, I've always heard, oh, you know, I'm not eating this because it has too much sugar in it. What is your take on sugar? And is sugar really bad for us in general? Yeah. So I think one of the reasons that you guys had asked me to do this is because I created a course called Cocaine in My Cookies. And I created that course because I found that most people don't understand the impact of sugar and what sugar does to the body and and actually how addictive it is. And I think one of the reasons it's so hard for us to get rid of sugar in our diets is because it's addictive. And I think it was important for people to understand, number one, that sugar is addictive. And number two, that to eliminate sugar from our diets, that we would have to treat it like an addiction. And so when people say, you know, I'm not eating things with sugar in it, that's a good first step. But you kind of also have to understand what sugar is. So it's not always just the white powdery stuff that we put on our, you know, cakes and cookies, but it's also bread and it's also rice and pasta. And we also have to understand how sugar acts in the body and what response sugar has on certain hormones like insulin. Um, And then once you understand that, then you can start to take out the things out of your diet that trigger sugar addictive behaviors and get to a place where you're no longer craving sugar as aggressively. So break that down for us a little bit, because in my head, I'm thinking, you know, that there's two classes of sugar. 
there's the processed refined sugar, and then there's the unprocessed sugar. So, you know, when you said, you know, people need to realize, you know, where sugar is found, it's found in bread, it's found in candy, it's found in fruits, it's found in potato chips. Is Does the body really have that line of demarcation to say, well, oh, yes, this is from a whole foods perspective versus this is from a more processed, refined perspective? So yes and no. I think the first step is sugar is sugar is sugar. So I know we like to demonize certain types of sugar, but when when it gets into the body, sugar breaks down into sugar. And it has the same biochemical reactions, causes spikes in insulin, it gets manufactured or broken down in the liver as sugar. Okay, so it doesn't matter where you get that source from. However, there are some caveats to that, right? So if you have certain types of sugar that have a lot of fructose in it. Fructose is broken down in the liver different than glucose, which is, you know, a different type of sugar. And that also plays a role in how you develop disease from sugar. But then there's also what the sugar is eaten with. So when you eat sugar in the form of a fruit and it's with fiber, well, then it gets broken down in the body a little bit different. It doesn't cause as high peaks in your hormones like insulin. And it doesn't lead to cravings the same way that if you were to eat sugar like out of a cookie. So yes, sugar is sugar is sugar wherever you get it from, but it is metabolized in the body dependent upon a lot of other factors. And so there are healthier sources of sugar. Obviously, a fruit is a healthier source of a sugar than, let's say, a fruit roll-up. However, when we talk about how do we minimize our sugar intake, then we have to start thinking about what else is accompanying that sugar. Is it fiber or is it just sugar purely? When we start talking about addiction, we also have to look at what's accompanying the sugar because that will also play a, a factor. So so let's talk about the addiction aspect of this. I, I met Dr. Peoples through her course, Cocaine in My Sugar, and she explained it to me really well, the research and everything that's behind what sugar or how sugar acts in the body in an addictive manner as cocaine does. So explain that to the audience. How is sugar addiction like cocaine addiction? So one of the things, then the reason why I compare it to cocaine is because our body thinks of sugar in the same way it thinks of other addictive substances. So that doesn't matter if it's cocaine or if it's sex or if it's alcohol. All of these addictive substances or uh, addictions all play in the brain in the same part of the brain, what we call the reward center. So whenever you eat a cookie or whenever you have cocaine, it simulates a part of the brain called that reward center, and you release a bunch of biochemicals that then lead to a pattern of addiction. So when we look at it from a scientific standpoint, we are actually able to see in people who've studied cocaine and sugar side by side, actually that there's oftentimes more addictive behaviors associated with sugar than there is with cocaine. And specifically, they originally looked at this in rodents like mice, where they made mice very addicted to cocaine. And then they gave them an option. They say they took this addicted cocaine mouse and they said, hey, you can have sugar or you can have cocaine. And what we found was that the mouse would consistently choose sugar over cocaine, even though it was already addicted to cocaine. We also were able to look at brain studies where we would look at what a brain looks like that's addicted to cocaine, and we see the same parts of the brain light up when it is addicted to sugar or hyperpalatable foods, so addictive foods. So we are able to see through science that sugar and cocaine actually 
have the same addictive behaviors and also stimulate the same part of the brain as cocaine and other addictive substances. That I think is very enlightening because you wonder, well, why is it so hard for people to give up sugar? Because it's not just that you lack willpower, is that your body's biochemistry favors behaving in a way that goes after a craving like sugar. And you have to address it like that, I think, for people to really be able to beat that addiction. Instead of sort of penalizing yourself as an individual for having lack of willpower. It's not just that. It's not just that you just gluttonous it is, or that you just can't get rid of something. It's that there's something biochemically driving that. Um, and once you understand that, then you figure out, okay, we got to break that cycle. I'm glad you said there is something biochemically driving that because I'm sure there's someone out there who's saying, well, I don't have a, an addictive personality. I know I've said that before in regards to other things. So does that matter? Is that a thing? having an addictive personality or not when it comes to addictions such as food or drugs or whatever it may be? Yeah. I mean, so not everybody who drinks alcohol gets addicted to alcohol, right? But it doesn't mean that alcohol doesn't still have harmful effects on the body, right? So addiction is not just about behavior, but it's also when we talk about substances of abuse, we abuse them because we overindulge, but we also have to think about the harm that it might cause. So there are a lot of people who may not have a addictive sort of personality about the way that they eat, but they still develop diabetes because they eat too much sugar, right? Or they still end up with what we would call like a beer belly, but it's actually really a sugar belly. That's that big belly that people tend to have. The rest of their body is nice and lean, but their belly is nice and fat. All of that comes from sugar, right? And that big belly then leads to heart problems or is associated with heart problems and metabolic diseases like uh, diabetes. So you don't have to have an addictive personality to overconsume sugar and then also have the negative effects of overconsuming sugar. Hey guys, Kim here. I wanted to take a quick sack and introduce you guys to JoJo's guilt-free chocolate. So like if you hear like crumpling in the background, I actually have the chocolate package here with me because hey, that's what I'm snacking on at this time. But I'll be honest with y'all, when JoJo's originally reached out with their guilt-free chocolate that had zero grams of sugar, I was like, oh, I wonder how this tastes. But I promise you, it did not disappoint. I got the Ghost Hawaiian flavor that has like the coconut shreds and the sea salt and the macadamia nuts. And this low sugar chocolate snack actually did satisfy my sugar cravings. And that's important for me because I'm a person that works a lot with individuals that have diabetes. And I don't believe that everything should taste like cardboard and sadness. Like if you're having a sugar craving, there are healthier options out there. And JoJo's actually did it for me. So one bar of the chocolate, which is a pretty big piece in my opinion, has 14 grams of total carbohydrates and three grams of net carbs. So in other words, it can fit into any healthy diet or nutrition plan. So what Joanne and I did, we actually decided after taste trialing, of course, to team up with JoJo's to give you guys some discounts. So if you go on the jojoschocolate.com websites, there's a variety, there's an assortment of different flavors that you can choose from. So whatever you choose to order, 
at checkout, use the coupon code NutritionLifestyles10 for 10% off of your next purchase. So again, at checkout, use the coupon code NutritionLifestyles10 to get 10% off of your next order at JoJo's Chocolate. And trust me, it doesn't disappoint. You know, you have me here worrying, Dr. Peoples, because I'm thinking, I always have a story. I'm thinking, you know, you know what I'm hearing you talk about sugar. I'm thinking about the time because in in college, I never drank coffee, but I would always eat candy to stay up until, you know, there was one day I was studying and me and my roommate just went through all this candy and we were higher than a kite on the candy, just high. So, you know, that makes me think of the effects that sugar has on the body. So are the effects the same as you would see in a person that does cocaine? Oh, absolutely not. I think that's what the part is that's misleading. It's not so much that people would, I wouldn't use the word high, right? Because it's, you know, the thing about cocaine, which everybody can agree is harmful, is that it causes immediate adverse effects, right? So, you know, it leads to behaviors that are more problematic sooner than something like sugar. The the problem, the harm of sugar is a long-term effect, right? So it is the impact of having high levels of sugar and then having high levels of a hormone called insulin over a prolonged amount of time. So 5, 10, 15 years, right? So the harm of sugar is is more of a, a long game. However, there are some addictive behaviors that are stimulated by sugar. So for example, the reason you probably ate a ton of sugar or candy when you were studying is because stress drives craving, right? So that's part of that addictive behavior. It's not necessarily the harm, right? The harm isn't the fact that you had the the candy bar, but that is an example of how addiction, what addiction looks like. So when you're under a lot of stress, the hormones actually will cause you to crave things that are like sugar. One of the reasons is, is that sugar is very relaxing, right? So that part of the brain that gets stimulated, that reward center, what happens when you eat sugar or you indulge in cocaine or, or alcohol is that it releases this brain chemical called dopamine. Dopamine is very relaxing. So what happens is, is that you eat the cookie. Let's say this is the first time you've ever had something sweet. You eat the, the cookie and your brain says, oh, I, it relaxed me. And then it, it sends a signal to the front part of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. And that is a place where it then says, oh, next time I get stressed, let, this is what I can do to relax, right? So you now associate stress relief with eating cookies. And that's what drives the addictive behavior. So every time you're studying late at night or you feel like you're about to fall asleep or whatever, you go for the thing that your brain remembers is going to make you have energy and make you feel better. And that's the same thing that other substances of abuse do. They make you feel really good in the in the current moment, but then the delayed effects can be detrimental. And I think that that's a great explanation because I think that's why people hate hearing people say correlate any kind of association with sugar being addictive or addictive like drugs is because they're like, well, I don't see anybody getting high like a kite like you would see with cocaine. So that's a great explanation that you just gave to us. So when it comes to, we're talking about sugar being addictive, which is a very general statement. And earlier you talked about the differences between natural versus table sugar. Let's clarify, because I know there's someone out there that's probably going <laughs> to say, you know, they're telling us not to eat any fruit. 
Like fruit has sugar in it and they're telling us it's addictive. We shouldn't have it. So let's clarify that for everyone. When we are talking about sugar being an addiction, let's clarify the differences between what you're finding and why, why consuming your, your naturally derived wholesome fruits and vegetables that have sugars in them versus the addiction to processed sugar. So one of the problems with sugar in general, I'm just going to give a quick little history lesson. So one of the problems with sugar in general is it's not that sugar in and of itself is harmful. It's the quantity that we eat that's harmful. And so one of the things that has happened over the last century is, is that we've gone from eating a few grams, maybe 10 grams of sugar a day to eating 250. The amount of sugar that we're getting in a year's time is so much more than what we have been getting a hundred years ago. Sorry, I'm thinking because I said grams in a day, but it's really over, you know, a course of a period of time. So before the pre-industrial age, before we had a whole lot of processed forms of sugar, the only way to get sugar was from natural sources, right? So you would either have to go to a beehive to go get some honey. You'd have to chew your teeth out eating sugar cane, right? Off of the stalk. Or you'd have to, you know, do something really, you'd have to eat a ton of apples and oranges and bananas to get the amount of sugar that you can now get out of a cup of orange juice or a soda. So it's the amount that we're eating that is toxic to our body. And so that's the first thing I would clarify is is that one of the problems with sugar is that it's the amount that we have. And because it's so cheap to make refined processed sugar. You can put sugar in everything because what does sugar do? It makes everything taste good. So what happened in like the 1980s when there was this big appeal to get rid of fat in food, where we demonize fat, well, they took out all the fat, but then the food tastes like cardboard. So what do you have to do to food to make it then taste good? Well, you can put sugar in it and specifically high fructose corn syrup because it was so cheap. So it, it, added tons of sugar into people's diet that they had never been exposed to before. And the body just literally cannot handle it. Now, when we talk about the differences in sugar, like what's the difference of processed sugar versus sort of sugar that you find in fruits and vegetables? Well, when we talk about sugar and the way it's broken down, it's all the same. Like it doesn't matter. You know, I'm one who eats coconut sugar and honey. Those are my two main sources of sugar. But when it gets into my body, it still gets broken down the same way everything else does. But what I tend to advocate for people is, number one, if you want to break the addiction, you got to get rid of most sources of sugar in the beginning so that you stop that cycle, that addictive cycle. That's number one. After you've broken that addictive cycle, then you go on to then introducing healthier sugars into your diet at much smaller quantities. And the only way to do that is to, number one, get rid of processed foods because sugar is in 80% of all processed and packaged food in the grocery store. And you do that by adding your own sugar to your own foods and beverages. So rather than going to the grocery store and getting tomato sauce that the second ingredient is sugar behind tomatoes, then you might just get tomatoes. And if you want it to be a little bit sweeter, you add your own sugar, then you have more control over it. So you really, you know, as much as I like to sort of get into like the nuances of high fructose corn syrup versus cane sugar versus coconut sugar. You know, I think really the the message that I try to 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 convey to people for simplicity's sake is let's focus on removing the high quantities of sugar in any form, 
and then get to a place where we start getting into the nuances of sticking with sort of healthier versions of sugar that are less processed, chemically filtered, et cetera, et cetera. Nice. So, you know, throughout this duration that we've been talking to you, Dr. Peoples, you know, it's it's the obvious, you know, you mentioned insulin, you mentioned sugar, and of course, you know, the link to diabetes. So what other health benefits does removing sugar from the diet have on the body? So great question. So sugar is actually, particularly at high quantities, is toxic to the body. Having high blood sugar in the body, your body has to work really, really hard to sort of quell that in the body. It also has to work really, really hard to quell the inflammation that's caused by high amounts of sugar. So your body is is always trying to balance inflammation versus non-inflammation. And so sugar is a very pro-inflammatory food. And one of the reasons it's pro-inflammatory because it causes a rise in a hormone that I keep talking about, which is insulin. Insulin is actually very, very toxic to the body, particularly at high levels. And so what ends up happening is, is that people who eat sugar over the course, high amounts of sugar over the course of their lifetime, gradually the body no longer can deal with that amount of sugar. And so the sugar just hangs out in the blood for long periods of time. When that happens, sugar is actually toxic to the blood vessels. And that's when you start to develop things like plaques inside blood vessels. Plaques lead to things like kidney failure. It leads to vascular problems that lead to like amputation and heart attacks and strokes. So that sugar just alone in the blood vessels can cause damage to the body. But then insulin also is very pro-inflammatory and they go hand in hand. High levels of glucose or sugar lead to high levels of insulin. And when you have prolonged high levels of insulin, that also stimulates things that lead to heart disease, vascular disease like amputation, strokes, kidney failure. So those are all potential complications of prolonged high insulin and glucose or sugar content in the, in the diet. Wow. So it's a whole systemic effect. It's not just on one organ or, you know, I'm thinking people may be thinking, well, plaque, plaque is associated with fat. Like, no, boo-boo, it's the sugar too. And it's mainly the sugar. It's ma- I mean, it's mainly the sugar and then specific types of fats, right? So like trans fat is will definitely lead to plaques in the arteries. There's still some debate about saturated fat, but I think saturated fat has a slight impact. But your real culprit is going to be sugar because we're not talking about what sugar does in the body. And, but once it gets into the liver, it gets broken down and it gets turned into fat. Excess sugar gets turned into fat. So it's not the fat that we're eating that is always the problem. It's the fat that we're making from the foods that we're eating. What What is your take if someone says, you know, moderation and everything? I know moderation is such an ambiguous uh, yeah. term. And it's relative. We've (laughs) talked about this recently, last season, how moderation Uh, is relative to the person. It's not a general, everybody eats, you know, moderate eating. It's relative to the person. So give us your take on that. Yeah, I, you know, the only reason I don't like the term moderation is because it's how it's sort of a scapegoat for so many people. It's become so common of a thing that I can have whatever I want as long as I eat a little bit of it. And that was actually the real reason why I created the course was because I, you know, I say for a short amount of time, three weeks, four weeks, if you can get sugar completely out of your diet, and it's not completely because there's sugar also in broccoli, right? But when we could get it out in its most refined forms for even a short amount of time, a couple of weeks, number one, that's the first step to sort of breaking that addictive biochemical 
behavior that leads to addiction and craving. So most people don't ever do that. And so their moderation is always going to be too much because they're, they're, for example, their taste buds, what sweet to them is different than a person who is no longer addicted to sugar, right? So now when I drink tea, I can barely drink tea with sugar in it because it's too sweet for me. I can't buy any over-the-counter beverages that have sweetness in it because it's all too sweet for me, right? So it's hard to go into moderation if your palate still tells you that eight teaspoons of sugar is enough, right? So you have to, number one, sort of reset your body's reaction to sugar. You have to reset your taste buds to sugar. And then we can start talking about moderation. The definition of moderation there then is also dependent on the person, the individual. So if you're a person who has full-fledged diabetes and has visual problems because of your diabetes and you're on dialysis, well, for you, you, your body can no longer handle sugar. It just, your, your pancreas, which is the organ that produces insulin, can no longer handle sugar. And for you, if you really want to get a better control on your health, you're going to have to be somebody who's very drastic. There's no moderation for you, right? You're going to have to change your diet completely. If you're a person who has diabetes, but you're early stage, your hemoglobin A1C, that's the, the number that we look at to sort of see how well your blood sugar is being controlled. Now, you're a person who can probably have maybe some natural sugars, but you really want to take out all processed sugars out of your diet because your body is getting to a place where it can no longer handle sugar. And then there's this other group of people. And this is these are the type of patients I like to see in my office. The ones that haven't quite been diagnosed with diabetes yet, right? They're sort of what we would call pre-diabetes, but I would even say pre-pre-diabetes. So in medical literature, there is a cutoff for what we define as diabetes or pre-diabetes. But you can see diabetes coming a mile away 10 to 15 years before diabetes even develops. So those are the people I like to catch. Those are the people who could potentially do moderation because they're the people whose pancreases are still working, that their bodies are still responding to, to glucose and insulin. And those people, we can play with their diet a little bit really up the amount of nutrition that's in your diet, get out some processed food, but it's not going to kill you to have a piece of cake every once in a while, right? So again, it, it is a very broad spectrum and it depends on what your health goals are, right? So that second group I talked about, those people can typically reverse their diabetes with aggressive behavior. They're never going to reverse their diabetes with moderation, right? Those people are going to eventually end up on insulin. They're going to, their diabetes is going to ultimately progress unless they take drastic measures. The people who have the severe disease, the ones who can no longer see or have had an amputation or are already on 45 units of insulin, those people don't have reversible. Their bodies just can't handle it. So you really want to get the people who are early on before you even get diagnosed with diabetes. You want to do the lab tests that are able to show that you're going in a bad direction. And you want to stop it there. And those are the people where moderation is a discussion. But for the other two groups, moderation is, is less of an option. Gotcha. Gotcha. So in closing, I want, I want you to give us some tips because there are listeners out there who are really addicted to sugar. I'm not going to lie. You know, just listening to what you said, I'm here evaluating like, Kim, you know, you may have a little addiction problem going on. What are some some tips that you can give to help people cope with the withdrawal? Because the withdrawal is real. I'm speaking from experience. 
Yeah. So, so a couple of things. So the first thing is, is that you want to prepare. You want to prepare for a sugar detox. And, and that's what I call it. It's sort of this sugar detox where you're going to just sort of go hard in the paint, getting rid of sugar out of your diet for a minimum of three weeks. But even if you do it for a minimum of a week, you start off with a week and then you see how you, you react to it and then you go to two weeks and then you go to three weeks. But for the person who's saying, okay, I want to get, I don't, I want to limit the amount of side effects. The first thing I would say, or the easiest way to do this is number one, get rid of processed sugars first. Well, even before that, handle things that are going to be problematic for you anyway. So if you're drinking alcohol and, and coffee, you want to kind of get those out of your diet a little bit first before you even start to get sugar out because you don't want that to be a problem. And you, in, in a true sugar detox, you, you would take out coffee anyway, and you'd have to take out alcohol because alcohol is a sugar. So that's the first step is you want to get rid of those foods that also can cause side effects. Then you want to start by just getting out your processed foods. So sticking to your fruits for and, and vegetables that have sweetness in them as a way of getting your, your sweetness. And then you want to start actually cutting back even some of the fruit, right? So just berries, to, to eating things like blueberries and, and blackberries and things of that nature and that letting that be your only source of like fruit in your diet. Um, you also might want to consider getting rid of grains, all grains, or you could start by, a, you know, just doing refined grains and then maybe just having in things like quinoa and maybe black rice or something like that. But eventually you want to get that out too all your grains out. So you you just want to start to taper off like you would do with, you know, any other, you know, addiction. You want to taper off and then eventually just cut cold turkey. You cut cold turkey for just a couple of weeks and then you start to add sweetness back into your diet gradually. Again, starting with the natural sweeteners first because what you'll find is after you've cut out all these sugars for an extended amount of time, a couple of weeks, your response to sugar is not going to be the same. You're going to taste things and you're going to be like, this is way too sweet now. This apple is like, oh, it is overwhelming my taste buds. So you, then you, so you start back and gradually, keeping in mind, you want to keep out as many of the refined sugars permanently as possible. And remember that you want to be the one who adds sugar back into your diet, not let the food companies decide how much sugar is appropriate for you and your honey sausage. Like, why do you need sweet sausage? You know, it's like that, that type of stuff like drives me crazy. Honey baked ham. It's like it's neat. Right. So if somebody wants to get more guidance, how do they find your course and how do they find you? So they can always go to my website, www.drnapolepeoples.com. And there is a section on there for courses and you can sign up for Cocaine and My Cookies. And during that program, I go through all the steps to doing a sugar detox with meal plans included and videos of me talking about the topic and giving you all the kind of details that you need to do a successful sugar detox. And then how to transition back to eating a healthful diet that is sugar friendly after a complete detox. So drnicolepeoples.com, drnicolepeoples. Well, thank you so much for being on here and teaching us a little bit more about sugar addiction and breaking down the differences between the sugars for us. Everyone out there, please be sure to let someone know about this episode. Make sure to share it. And if you have any questions for Dr. Peoples, you can send them to us as well and we'll pass it along to her. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.